James chapter 4, and our text this morning is found in verses 6 through 10. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. But as, we, as we head into that passage, I'll just remind you what we were looking at in the beginning. In James chapter 4, he's talking about the source of strife. Where does the strife, uh, where does strife come from? He says, well, it comes from the lusts of the flesh, these lusts that are in our members. And, of course, the lusts of our flesh cannot be satisfied. The Bible says that. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Lust cannot be satisfied. There's a, there's a sad cycle. If you try to fulfill the desires of your flesh, it's desire followed by disappointment, followed by despair or depression, and followed by destruction. Uh, flesh can never be satisfied. And of course, these lusts hinder our prayer life. We strive to get what we want without praying, and we, sometimes when we do pray, we're praying with the wrong motives. We're asking God to really just fulfill the lust of our flesh. We try to spiritualize our fleshly desires, and we humans are very adept at that. We can rationalize our sin in our own minds, but that just only indicates that we are self-deceived. These lusts, they hinder our relationship with God. He addresses them as adulterers and adulteresses. Serving self is spiritual adultery. <clears throat> and it is the philosophy of this world. But we see here that if you are truly a believer, the Spirit who dwells in you does what? Well, He desires control, just as the flesh desires control. And the Spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another. The Holy Spirit desires to control the believer, and the Holy Spirit does give grace. In verse 6, He giveth more grace. And so we continue here looking at the gift of grace. Verse 6, He giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. <clears throat> in verse 6, he speaks about the grace of God. And this whole passage here really is talking about our drawing near to God, our submitting ourselves, really our, hum, our humility, being humble, God's gift to the humble. All believers struggle with the flesh. Every one of us does. There's not a believer who does not struggle with the flesh. And the flesh desires to fulfill its lusts. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 6 through 8. Talks about the struggle that we have. Talks about yielding to the Spirit, yielding our members. He talks about mortifying the flesh. But all believers will struggle with the flesh. But all believers also have the opportunity for victory. We're not condemned to failure. We are not uh, the slaves of our flesh. All believers have the opportunity for victory. What did Paul say at the end of, well, at the end of Romans chapter 5? Where sin abounds, 
there's more what? There's more grace. Grace superabounds. Where sin aboundeth, grace did much more abound. What is grace in that context? In the context of what we're speaking of here, what is grace? Well, how would you define grace in the context of this passage? In the context also of Romans chapter 5, verse 21, I believe. All right. Yes. The power to do what? To overcome the flesh. The power to overcome the flesh. That is grace. It's undeserved. If God doesn't give us grace, what happens? Romans chapter 1. Wherefore, he gave them up to uncleanness. He gave them up to their own lusts. Okay? It is God's grace that he gives us victory over the lusts of the flesh. So all believers have the opportunity for victory. Abundant grace is available. Romans 5.20, Hebrews 4.16. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, John says, Greater is he that is where? In you. Than whom? Than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God dwells in you, there is no excuse for not having the victory. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about victory? It's, we sing about victory in Jesus. Okay. What did Paul say? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that victory, therefore, my beloved brethren, he says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Victory is promised. Victory is available. Abundant grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, Paul says, There's no temptation that has taken you, but such as is the same temptation your brothers and sisters have, the same temptation that your neighbors have, but such as is common to man. You ever felt like you were just having it worse and harder than anybody else? And why was God picking on you? And, you know, just why me? Okay, well, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But what does the scripture say? God is faithful. God is faithful. And he provides us with what? A way of escape. A way of victory over the temptation. Victory over the flesh. The fact is, though, not all believers are victorious in the struggles against the flesh. And no believer is 100% victorious. We all fail. We all have times of failure. But that doesn't mean that God has failed. Grace is available. Victory is available. He says, but he, in verse 6, James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace. But... Look at the second part of this verse. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. 
What is the number one deterrent to grace? Pride. Pride. Think about that. The number one deterrence to God's grace is pride. I mean, think about that. Grace and pride. He giveth more grace, but he says, or wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What's a humble person? What makes a person humble? A humble person... Think about the context here. We're talking about victory over the flesh. God's giving grace, grace greater than our sin. But is grace available to proud people? Well, yes, it is, but grace is refused by proud people. Why? All right. A proud person doesn't need help. A proud person, let's put it in plain terms, a proud person is a person so deceived by sin that he doesn't think he needs help. You know the Pharisees? John chapter 9 comes to the end of that chapter after Jesus healed the blind man. And um, Jesus is saying about, you know, talking about, I have come into the world that they that see might not see, and they that don't see might see. And the Pharisees perceived that he was talking about them, and they said, are we blind also? Okay. Are we blind? And Jesus says, well, if you were, basically, if you were blind, I could help you. But you say you see, so your sin remains. Pride. Pride causes a person to be self-deceived. He thinks he's, he's got things under control. He doesn't need grace proud person doesn't need grace. He resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. A humble person realizes something. What does the humble person realize? There's a prophet who said this, and I'm I'm recalling the passage, but not the reference. Israel. We're rich. We're self-sufficient. We have everything we need. God looks and says, you are poor, blind, miserable, wretched, and naked. The humble person sees himself as God sees him. A proud person has a completely different perspective of himself. The humble person realizes, hey, I am destitute. I am poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. That is not the attitude of the proud. That's the attitude of the humble. And you say, well, wait a minute. But we, we, we live in America. And we have lots of stuff, and we're, we're, we're blessed, and you know, we have everything that we need, and so it's very easy for us to be what? Proud. It's very easy for us to consider ourselves to be self-sufficient. But I don't care if you've got a billion in the bank. 
you can still be humble and you must. And what is humility? It's a proper perspective of self. Do you really see yourself the way God sees you? Do you realize what you are? We have feet made of clay. We are, I mean, God says he, he knows us. He knows man. He knows what he made him out of. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our infirmities. Yet we tend to walk around self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing. And those who need nothing don't need God. Now, we would never say that, but that's the way we live. And God resists those kind of people. And so when God resists those kinds of people, they don't receive his grace. When you don't receive God's grace, according to this passage, what happens to you? You don't have the victory. Over what? The flesh. Proud people do not have victory over the flesh. Because they don't receive grace. Because they're proud. And God resists them. Do you want God resisting you? Think about that. God resisting you. Not just not listening to you, but actively resisting you. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So, here's James' advice. He says, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit to God. What does it mean to submit to God? Well, that's a big, I mean, that, that, that's an all-encompassing term. But might I suggest that it all, it, um, among other things, it also means submit yourself to what? To God's opinion. Submit yourself to God's opinion of you. Submit yourself to God's description of you. It's very humbling. If Israel would have submitted themselves to God's opinion of them, they would have recognized that they were poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And not saying, we are rich. We have everything we need. We don't need God. Submit yourselves to God. Put yourself under. Put yourself under. See, not all believers are successful in the struggle against the flesh because God resists the proud. But God gives grace to the humble. Those who are humble are those who readily acknowledge their sinfulness and are completely or keenly aware of their complete unworthiness and their dependence upon God. How dependent are you upon God? Well, yeah, I, I, I need God in the morning. I get up and I read his word. I pray and say, Lord, help me have a good day. Help me to learn out of your word. And then I'll see you tomorrow morning. Lord, same time, same station. And click, we turn them off, we go do our thing. And God is really not in our thoughts during the day. And then maybe the next day, oh, pull out the Bible. Good morning, God. It's me again. Here I am. And what happens, we, 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 we tend to turn on and off our spirituality, our relationship with God. Listen, this is not something that we turn on and off. We need to remember that our dependence upon Him is not just on Sundays or when we're reading the Bible. It's 24-7. 
Seven days a week, 365 and a quarter. Amen. Amen. You can raise your hand and say amen. No. <laughs> you have a question? So um, it, it, it's for me, I believe. It's no, not for you. Yeah, Just for everybody. Here. My, my, my personal situation with the way I, it's very easy for me, maybe it was the way I was raised up or something like that. It's very easy for me to uh, uh, find myself to be in that wretched state. Like, I know I'm messed up. You don't got to tell me, right? So on top of that, you know, I'm that guy that's beating on his chest saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's me, right? So the flip side to being able to accept the view of your of your God, the way he views you, I find it in Psalms 139.14, where he says, I praise thee, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully... Humility, recognizing who we are. And by the way, it's not just the publican beating on his chest and saying, I'm a sinner. Uh, the publican didn't just do that because it was the Sabbath, time to be in the synagogue, and there he was. Right. Folks, it's a way of life. Absolutely. It's a way of life. Okay? Now, God gives grace to the humble. These are those who readily acknowledge their sinfulness and are keenly aware of their complete unworthiness and dependence upon God. What are you dependent upon? Are you dependent upon God for everything? Well, we say, well, yes, we are. But do we live that way? You know, saying it and living it can't be two different things. It needs to be the same. It needs to be the same. Dependence upon God. I just... I'm continually struck with a thought. What do I have that I have not received? What do you have that you've not received? Okay. The attitude of the humble is that. That's part of the attitude of being humble is realizing, hey, everything I have has been given to me. I don't deserve anything good. A humble person is a vessel emptied of self, which God is able to fill to overflowing with his all-sufficient grace. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Move down to verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit. Bring yourself under what God has said. Put yourself under his word. Put yourself under his authority. Accept what he says about you. Not what you think about yourself. Okay? Remember what Paul said? It's not good that anybody, anybody else, any of us should think higher than of ourselves than we ought to think. Well, how ought we to think about ourselves? We need to think about ourselves the way God thinks about us. Now, I'm not saying that we just grovel in self-loathing and become morbid with our introspection and our focus is on our own sinfulness. No, our focus is to be on Christ. But we have to remember who we are. Because when we're lifted up with pride, we resist grace. When we resist grace, we fall to the flesh. 
Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, before we talk about resisting the devil, we have to be humble. We can't resist the devil if we're proud. Remember what um, Paul says to Timothy and Titus. He's talking to them in, in his pastoral epistles, and he gives us advice about who should be a pastor. And he says, not a new believer, or not one who is really immature in the faith. Why? Lest he fall into the what? Condemnation of the devil. Lifted up with pride. Lifted up with pride. How can we be humble? Well, we submit ourselves to God, being humble. The humble heart is characterized by willing submission, willing submission to God, willing submission to His Word. The heart, humble heart is characterized by victorious resistance. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Who successfully resists the devil? The humble person. The proud person falls into the devil's trap. Just like the Pharisees, we see. Therefore, Jesus says, your sin remaineth. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil. The self-serving heart blindly follows the devil. He will flee. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Verse 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God. Draw near. Listen, a self-serving heart doesn't have any time for God. It's too busy. Doing what? Serving self. It's got his own agenda. And God doesn't make it on the agenda, except maybe a little, God, I'll give you a tip. <laughs> Here's your time. The self-serving heart, the proud heart, does not have God on his agenda. But draw nigh to God and... He will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. He says, <clears throat> Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. All of that right there written is a description of the humble heart. The humble heart resists the devil. The humble heart or submits to God. How does it do that? Drawing nigh to God. Cleansing your hands. How does cleansing your hands demonstrate humility? Now, kids, are, are we talking about going to the sink and washing dirty hands? Is that what Jesus is that is that what the word of God is telling us? Go wash your hands. Did you all wash your hands before you came in here? Wash up for supper. There, I washed my hands. I am now cleansed from the filth of the flesh. No, what is he saying? What does it mean to cleanse your hands? Why does anyone cleanse their hands? Because they're what? Because they're dirty. Ah, which means that the person has to first do what? No. 
recognize that they're dirty. Ah, okay. I'm gonna step behind you. <laughs> yeah, you skipped a step. Why do we wash our hands? Put your mask back on. <laughs> now, okay. Why do we wash our hands? We wash our hands because we recognize that they're filthy. Well, now, you want to talk about germs. Let's talk about germs. When I worked in surgery, you would wash up before you went into the surgical room. And there were three soaps that you would use. And you would scrub your hands with each soap. But my hands are clean, the surgeon says. Look at them. I don't see any dirt. And the surgeon that would go into surgery without washing his hands does what? Puts his patient at great risk. Because he thinks his hands are clean. But actually, it's what he doesn't see that will infect the patient. So we'd wash our hands very carefully. And then we'd dry our hands. You dry from the top down. You don't dry this way and bring bacteria towards your fingers. You dry down and then you drop. Then you walk in and you don't touch anything. You come to a sterile field and there's a technique of getting your gloves on and getting your gown on without touching anything. It's almost miraculous. No, but <laughs> can't tell you the secret. But no, I mean, but my hands don't look dirty. See? A person who, you know, get ready for dinner. Hmm, that look good. Okay? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. How does God see us? We're sinners. We're covered in it. We swim in it. We live in it. We walk in it. Our feet get dirty, okay? We're, we are sinners. Why do our hands need cleansing? Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? He says, oh, wash all of it, you know. Wash your feet. We're talking about cleansing. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Before you cleanse your hands, you have to realize that they need cleansing. A person who is humble recognizes and admits and agrees with, confesses, agrees with God, what God says about himself. What does God say about me? God says, you need cleansing. God, I don't see it. Well, let me show it to you. Open my word. Okay? Draw nigh to me. I'll draw nigh to you, God says. Cleanse your hands. A humble person recognizes the filth that needs cleaning. Okay? A proud person just looks at his hands and says, I look good enough to me. <laughs> Why cleanse anything? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And he goes on and says, and purify your hearts. You know, could be there. You're, cleanse your hands. Talking about your outward conduct. But purify your hearts, your inward character. Don't be double-minded. You cannot serve God and self at the same time. Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. Okay? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be single-minded. Are you following Christ or are you following your own desires? What are your goals? Did they come from the Lord? Or are they just personal goals that you've got for your own self-gratification? What's your purpose in life? Why are you here? 
what does God want you to do? Oh, I don't know. I'm just doing what I do because I do it. Well, you better step back and give it some serious thought. What does God want you to do? He goes on to verse 9. Be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now, this is quite an interesting verse because the humble heart, the humble heart is characterized by an honest self-examination. What does he do? He looks into the Word of God. The Word of God does what? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it shows us what we are. It reveals motives. It reveals our hearts. Be afflicted. Recognize your wretchedness and your shame. Again, Isaiah 6 and verse 5. Job 42 and verse 6. I'm going to read Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5. Here, Isaiah talks about how he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He has a vision of heaven, and he, verse 5, what's his response? Then said, I, woe is me, for I am undone, because, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. A proper vision of the Lord causes us to see ourselves as we really are. And where do we get that? Listen, this comes from the Word. If you're not spending time in the Word, you will have a false impression of yourself. Be afflicted. Recognize your wretchedness. Recognize your shame. Be grieved. Mourn and weep. Be afflicted. Mourn and weep. And then he goes on and says this. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Does that mean that God wants us to be more morose, sour, sorrowful, weepy-eyed, pitiful, people just walking around with our heads hung in shame? Is that what he's talking about? No. But he says here, let your laughter be turned to mourning. What does he mean by that? Let those things which used to bring you joy be the things which cause you great shame. What does the flesh enjoy? The amusements of the flesh, the things that the flesh thinks are funny, the things that the world puts out there and mocks and scorns and laughs at. He says, let that sinful behavior which used to make you laugh now arouse deep grief. What does that reveal? It reveals a changed heart. Okay? It reveals a changed heart. Remember what Paul said there in Romans, the end of chapter 1, speaking about these sins of the world and Speaking about them, the sinners, he says, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, how, how could that verse even apply today? Well, do you fill your mind with the entertainment of the world? 
What does the world depict as entertaining? Oh, violence, crime, just watch their movies. No, don't. Okay, what are the movies filled with? Adultery, murder, vice, and that's the world's entertainment. As believers, that kind of stuff should cause us what? Grief. Listen, do not be, enter- do not be entertained by sin. If you allow yourself to be entertained by sin, there's something wrong with your heart. There's something seriously wrong with your heart. Sin is not to be entertaining. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Let the Holy Spirit cause the sinful desires which used to tempt you as bringing joy. Let those things give you a heavy heart. I'm always concerned with Christians who brag about their sinful past or who bring it up as some type of a badge of who knows what. I need to hear about your sinful past. Tell me about your glorious salvation. Tell me about your new desires. We all know what sin is. You don't need to brag about it. There's, listen, there's no, there's no badge in heaven for the sinfulest. Okay. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So here, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Let those things which used to bring you joy, by, through that temporary joy which sin offers, let those things be that which, those things which cause you grief. Then he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves. The humble heart is characterized by voluntary self-abasement. Voluntary. Either you humble yourself, or God will humble you. There's your choice. Okay, You humble yourself, or God will humble you. The humble heart. Okay? Be who you really are, a sinner saved by grace. We as believers have no room for pride. We have no room for pride. It's easy for us to compare ourselves to one another. Don't do that. Compare yourself to Christ. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord as you are in the presence of your heavenly master in all of his majesty. What happened when people came into the presence of even angelic messengers in the Bible. What'd they do? Hey, so good to see you. How are things up there? No, it's, uh, you know, when they came into presence with even an angel, it struck them with absolute terror. And what'd they do? Fell on their face fell on their face. You know, we have this modern idea in generally in Christianity, I'm not saying every single person, but there's a there's this idea of Christ, in Christianity that Jesus is just is, is your friend. He's your buddy. You know, and it's the casual Jesus which kind of excuses sin and oh, he knows he knows what we're really like and he understands and 
And all of these things which sound so, oh, well, well, that's true. He does understand. Yes. And he is gracious. Yes. And he is forgiving. So therefore, I'm cool. and He's cool. And we just get along together. And, you know, he accepts me the way I am. I don't know what Jesus you're talking about. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Because the Jesus of the Bible has not changed his view on sin since Adam and Eve. The Bible says that God does not change. Did you know that God hates sin today just as much as he hated it back then? Just as much as he hated it on the day that he offered his son on the cross? God still hates sin. And what does he require in his presence? Holiness. Holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Period. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Listen, we're to humble ourselves. We're to humble ourselves. And if you don't know what that means, then you just better get into the Word of God and keep reading. Because the Word of God will humble you. You agree with what God says, and you will be humbled. Okay. Humility. Listen, God gives grace to the humble. Back to verse 6, he giveth more grace. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Listen, we can't live without the grace of God. We need the grace of God. We need it all the time. And if we're that needy of God's grace, then we are equally needy of what? Being humble. Being humble. Now, if you're like me, and you are, then you struggle with pride. And I'm not just saying that to accuse you. I'm just saying that as a fellow Adamite, a fellow human being. Okay, <coughs> We're all afflicted with the same sins, and we all struggle with pride. To one degree or another, we do. It's something, But it's something that we can have victory over. I'm not saying you're going to get... Wipe out pride, and I'm done with that one. Check the box. Now I'm humble. Oops. <laughs> okay. No, but we're all covered up in it. And so we all have to continually realize our dependence upon God. And when God lifts us up, I mean, now James didn't say this. So I am going to speak here a little extra biblically, at least from the book of James. But what I am going to say is inspired. What I mean by that is you'll find it elsewhere in Scripture. Okay. It says here, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And then what happens when we're lifted up? Huh? What happens? What do we tend to do? What was Moses warning to the children of Israel as they came into the promised land? He goes, you are gonna, you're going to come into places, you're going to reap fields that you didn't plant, you're going to live in houses you didn't build, and beware! Lest when all these good things come upon you, be what? Lifted up in pride and forsake the Lord. Who gave you all those things? It's a cycle. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. But when he lifts you up, be humble still. And realize it's he who is lifting you up. Not you pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, so to speak. 
whatever that means. Okay. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. But still be humble. Still be humble. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It didn't come from yourself. What do we have that we haven't received? We're all needy beggars. And just because a coin falls, God puts a coin in our cup. Doesn't mean like, oh, now I'm rich and I can lord it over the other beggars. No, we're, we're still beggars. Okay. Humble, being humble. All right. Any questions or thoughts? seems like the message of humility that you've been talking about is captured in two verses at least. One is Galatians 5.16. Walk in spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But what is walking? Walking is moment by moment living. And what does it say our moment by moment living should be? Philippians 4.13. Which says? Philippians 4.13 being... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good and pure, if there is any excellence in it, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell in these things. So that walking, living moment by moment, is that. That's part of it, certainly. That's the positive aspect of it. There's a negative aspect of it. It's mortifying the flesh. Okay. You do these things that you That's part of it. That's the positive side. No time for any of the others. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I think both aspects are there, definitely. Okay. So walking in the Spirit, again, yes. Um, walking in obedience. But again, that's what? Submitting yourself to God. Submit yourselves to God continually. Continually. All right, well, let's pray, and we'll have a break. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thanks for these, Lord, these great words of wisdom, which we so desperately and continually need. Lord, may they not fall from our ears, but Lord, may they sink into our hearts. Lord, may we live this way continually. It's so easy for us to be caught up in the here and now, the demands of the immediate, Lord, to not have our minds fixed on you. Lord, help us to keep our focus upon you or that we might live lives with a victory over the flesh, that you would be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.